Going Linux, episode 353, moving from Windows to Linux, part one. Welcome to the Going Linux podcast. I'm your host, Larry Bushy. And I'm your co-host, Phil. Whether you are new to Linux, upgrading from Windows to Linux, or just thinking about moving to Linux, this podcast will provide you with valuable information and advice that will help you in going Linux. We hope that you find this and all our episodes helpful in learning about Linux and open source applications and using them to get things done. In today's episode, moving from Windows to Linux, part one. Hey, Bill, part one, huh? Part one, yeah. It's it's like uh, the the Marvel superhero movies. You got a part one and a part two. Ah, okay. Uh, all right. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's cool. Um, yeah, we've it's been a while since we've done a part one, part two series, and uh, it's good to get back to that. I think. Yeah, I'm excited about it. The part one we used to they used to be called well they're still called but uh, beginner and advanced. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I was looking at, you know, what to call it, I said, well, you know, part one's kind of just a prep and part two's not any more advanced. So I just decided to go with the one part one, part two. So, yeah. <laughs> okay. So it's yeah. kind of uh, introduction and uh, extension of the introduction to moving from Windows to Linux. P- pretty yeah. much. Pretty much. Okay. And, that's fine. Uh, so I think it'll, I think it'd be good. I, I enjoyed uh, um, writing it. Of course, mm-hmm. uh, Bear wants to say hello. So Yeah, I think he just did. <laughs> yes. All right. So you're going to hear him once in a while. I think he wants to put, make sure he's uh, remembered. Yes, so, there we go. Anyway, I don't know about you, but in New Mexico, cooler weather is starting to come, and I'm really digging the cool weather. Yeah, yeah, it's starting to get cooler here as well, especially in the mornings. Yeah, it's been a nice summer, but it's I'm looking forward to some cooler weather. So, anyway, um, I included some links in the show notes. I just want to let uh, everybody know uh, there's some interesting reads. Um, one is the Microsoft uh, Retail Users License the terms oh. that you basically click when you say you're going to use it. And I was reading through it. And there's some interesting stuff in there. Uh, I think some people might be surprised. And then there was a couple more um, about Windows 10 data collection and about what they collect. And uh, I believe the one from um, The Verge – no, I'm sorry. The one from TechCrunch actually uh, gives links to it if you decide to continue uh, running Windows or you have to run Windows 10 uh, that you would be able – uh, that you can kind of limit what um, uh, they collect. You can't you can't turn everything off entirely, but um, it's kind of interesting. And then there's in the TechCrunch is the original stories about the Dutch uh, government saying, "Hey, Windows 10 kind of breaches privacy law." So anyway, there were two uh, interesting articles, and they had some good links that. Um, I thought people would enjoy so that they're in there for anybody that would like to look at it. Well, thanks for those. That's uh, yeah. going to be interesting reading. I had, I think it was the Windows Seven uh, terms of use or or end user mm-hmm. license agreement that I had read through. I haven't read the Windows Ten one. It'd be interesting to see what the differences are and how much more they're doing to us. <laughs> yeah, what's what's it doing? To you, yeah. The uh, the EULA contains a lot of uh, information about what they're doing um, and what they collect and how you can actually use Windows. It's very different than uh, the uh, license, you know, the uh, GNU. Uh, you know, you can pretty much use Linux on whatever you want, however you mm-hmm. want. But right. when you look at Windows, I believe one of the the conditions is uh, it gives a very specific um, guidelines and, and rules about uh, uh, virtualization mm. and remote access and the um, I just in, in in there it actually says this 
uh, software. You know, most people uh, say, you know, it's my Windows. I'll do what, what I want. But actually, the EULA says that this software is not sold. It's licensed. Mm-hmm. Right. And so you don't own it. You only have a right to use it. Yeah. And, of course, you know, with the new roadmap, well, that was one of the reasons I, I've moved completely off Windows uh, 10 uh, because – they're they're upgrading so fast, and unless you're a uh, an enterprise user with the volume licensing, you cannot uh, refuse the these upgrades. And they're doing and when I say upgrades, like they're doing replacing the whole system. You know, they're so they got one coming out soon, and it's uh you know I think they call it Redstone Six, which will be the next version of Windows 10. Mm-hmm. And there, and there's no way if you're just a home user to uh, just you know not install it. You know, like on when I get updates on Lin- on Linux on my uh, Mint, I uh, don't immediately install them unless it says it's a security fix. I usually wait a couple days and read through it and make sure there's no problems and then install it. But uh, the one of the reasons that um, I was listening to a podcast that to do this is there's a lot of home users, and so they'll push this out. So you kind of like a guinea pig. Yeah. <laughs> so if it runs on, because there's a lot of different um, uh, hardware types, and if if they're if it's running good on them, then they then they push it. They can push it to the uh, the corporate or the enterprise users. So. Yeah, so I, I don't like being anybody's guinea pig for free. <laughs> so, <laughs> especially when I still have to do work. So I, I, anyway, I'm not being critical. I'm just saying that's that's some of the reasons that uh, I've chosen, and I know that uh, to not use it. I know there's some people that don't care, and that's great. But you might want to read through it and and read articles and follow links. You might be able to, you know. Uh, Say hey, I don't want to share this information, much information and stuff. So, yeah. So yeah. anyway, today we're going to talk about is you know, hey, I'm done with it for whatever reason. I'm going to move to uh, uh, from Windows to Linux, and some of the ways to, uh, on how to get these things done and get ready for the move. Uh, we're going to break this up as we just discussed earlier, but just to make sure that we can make this easy and as painless as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it it seems like a big daunting task, and it's not. It's just planning. Yeah, exactly. You just uh, need to be uh, planful as to what you're doing, so that you don't lose any important information, and the rest of it should happen pretty quickly. So, I'm a user of Windows, and I've decided to ditch Windows for whatever reason. Now what? And a better question is, why would I want to? You know, Windows is working just fine for me. Why would I want to? Well, there's a couple, um, a couple ones that come to mind. One, you might be concerned about your privacy, uh, but that's mm-hmm. not usually the biggest one. The biggest one is you, you've got older hardware, and Windows 10 is not running as well as you had hoped, uh, or you don't need to use Windows programs anymore, uh, or it's just you just got tired of having to keep paying uh, for software like uh, well we use Audacity. Uh, you can you can still get on Windows, but you have to know about Audacity. And um, so it, it's various reasons. It, it, it's not always about you know sticking it to Microsoft. I'm not going to pay them anymore, but because most people get uh, their Windows when they buy a new computer, right. And so you really it's kind of built built into the cost. But you might say, look, you know, uh one of the things that kind of drove me insane is on Windows ten when I had it on mine, um, it had a bunch you remember back in the day when they would have all the the uh what I what we call the trialware and the um shareware and stuff. Shareware. Like that. Yeah. Well it, it's now it's back in there. Uh, and so I un- I install it, and then when an upgrade comes, it's back. 
Hmm. And then I have to uninstall it again. And oh, the the crapware that's pre-installed. By, yeah, like they had Candy Crush yeah. Saga and uh, Castle right. something and Auto Racing, and they've they're building an Xbox. And you know, I want yeah, if I want to play a game, that's great. But uh, I choose it's definitely not Candy Crunch <laughs> or Candy Crush. Yeah. So. Whatever your reason, and there's no right or wrong answer. You said I've decided, you know, I don't want to use Windows anymore, or my hardware's getting older and it's just not running as well, and I want to get a couple more years. Yes, computers have come down, but you know, if I can get a few more, uh, a year or another or two out of my same hardware, uh, and I can do everything I need to, why suffer with that? And here's another one. Uh, a big one. I think that uh, there are some people that have gotten um, – they didn't make their backup media, mm-hmm. and then they get um, infected with right. malware or or whatever. And the only way to get rid of it entirely is to nuke and pave. Well, mm-hmm. how do they do that if they didn't make their backup media? Right, exactly. Um, yeah, I've never had to to do this, but I understand that it takes some jumping through of some hoops in order to convince the folks at Microsoft that you actually have a legitimate copy of Windows when you haven't made a copy of your uh, restore media or whatever they want to call you know, it. They're doing something interesting, and, and it only works if you have a Microsoft account mm-hmm. um, that when you uh, – get a new computer they tie your license to your account so it's a digital key uh, okay. and uh, up until recently it was very hard to get a, a clean copy now if you do search on the internet you can Microsoft actually lets you download a copy and then when you enter your credentials in with the uh, the Microsoft account it automatically recognizes and says oh okay he's had this before but the the thing that might surprise you is you're you might have been on you know, a version of Windows 10 that worked um, with some software and then they've upgraded it to the newest version or you have a lot because the downloads like four gigabytes and if you have a meter mm-hmm. con- connection that's just insane right um, and well so and the you, other the other thing I guess is that if you have purchased a computer with Windows installed on it and you do the recovery from the copy from a copy of Windows that you've downloaded from the Microsoft site, mm-hmm. what you aren't getting is all of the tweaks and the special drivers and all of the little adjustments that the computer hardware manufacturer has made in order to get Windows to work properly on their hardware. Uh, maybe you can go to their website and and download those things, but that's some additional work. And I think most people, when they install Windows on their computer, are expecting that Windows is Windows, and you know, there's you just install it and it should work. I think that the more sophisticated users realize that there are drivers and other things, and will go look for it. But I think the average computer user who isn't all that tech savvy uh if they were to have to go through that they would give up and go take it to you know some store and pay to have it restored yeah well that's one of the uh things especially if you have like uh my alienware is very much like that Mm -hmm. Um, you can can get it up and running but then you have to it, it finds the some of the older drivers for like the nvidia card and stuff but it's not the latest and then you have to go download it and then it's just you have to jump through a hoop and a lot of times to get the something because mine has a kind of a hybrid keyboard and uh it has extra feature keys yeah and you have to actually uh, i've actually had to go and to alienware's site and download those and you know there's a utility that um let you change the colors on the keyboard. I mean, so all that doesn't work out of the box. So right. not that I use it a lot. I said, I pretty much set it and forget it. Um, sound like an infomercial there, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, you, you'll get the base system. But when I 
had to reinstall Windows 10 before I finally said I'm done. Um, it was a four, uh, 4.1 or it was over 4 gigs of download. Then it was uh, probably another two hours of updates. And then I went and spent another probably two hours getting all the drivers, getting installed, getting it configured, you know, because they have the uh, Dell makes Alienware. It's a division of Alienware. Or, you know, Alienware is a division of Dell. And so you have to go to the site, you have to enter, you know, so it's it's not a quick process, um, and especially if you don't have the install media. But, you know, that, that would probably be some of the main reasons why uh, you would say, I'm done. I don't want to go through all this. Uh, I just want a computer that I can do my stuff. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, the reasons that I run across are people are tired of getting malware and infections and just suspicion of, is this a valid email? Uh, you know, is this is this something that somebody actually sent me? It seems a little funny. And then second-guessing every email or every message you get or every post on Facebook or something like that and just being suspicious all the time. Uh, so there's that aspect of things. Um, some, something else is just the cost. Uh, and you made mention of the fact that for the average user who uses windows, they've already, uh, gotten windows as part of the purchase of the hardware. So they're not seeing it, it, an incremental cost as a result of buying windows, but, um, as the folks at Microsoft upgrade Windows 10 uh, involuntarily on your part, um, sometimes you end up having to repurchase the same software you've already purchased. And I'm talking about software applications now, those things that you use oh, yeah. to get the things done. And some of those are not compatible with the latest version. And of course, you can't go back to the old version of Windows. So you have you're, you're sitting there waiting for the software manufacturer or software publisher to upgrade that version of their software to work. Uh, most are on top of it, but sometimes you end up behind the eight ball. And, and quite frankly, that I think is what drives a lot of people to look for uh, free alternatives like Audacity for recording of audio and like LibreOffice for the office suite of things. And speaking of office, that's another hidden cost, especially if you um, are using the online cloud-based version of Microsoft's office suite. Um, uh, the um, software package, it's its gotten better, I understand, over time, but when they first released it, it was missing quite a few features, and it may still be missing some features of the installed version. Uh, and as a result, you may be searching for alternative software just to get those features back. But there is an incremental cost to using the cloud-based version because although you can purchase a copy of Microsoft Office you can install on your hardware, the online version is kind of like you described the EULA for Windows. It's a license to use it, and it's pretty clear in the cloud-based version that you don't own it, you don't control it. It is just something that you can use and they can change it whenever they want. And, you know, there are plenty of cloud-based software applications out there that do the same sort of thing. But for the experienced Windows user that's been using Windows since Windows 7 or before, they don't expect those kinds of things. Um, and it's another hidden added cost is as uh, Microsoft updates their version of Windows, I don't think they give too much consideration to how old the hardware is that you have it installed on. And so you you may end up with an upgrade to Windows that makes your computer um, incompatible with running that version of Windows or a printer you have. They may drop the driver for the printer or scanners or other hardware, and then you've got to go upgrade the hardware. So lots of hidden costs there as well. Well, there's, there's a not-so-hidden not cost. They're, they don't want people to buy the software anymore because when you buy the software, 
people say my office 2007 or 13 or whatever version you have is working fine why should I upgrade uh, it does what I want so they're, they're trying to make they have a, a product that they're really going pretty much full in called office 365 and they're really trying to own that space and what office 365 is is um, you get they actually it's like nine nine ninety nine a, a month or ninety nine dollars a year. Yep. And uh, you can they will you can download a in place copy, but they want they they're just tying everything together. They're tying Skype in. They're tying um, Office. They're tying in. They give like one terabyte of storage space. Uh, for this nine ninety nine or ninety nine dollars a year, they're, they're trying to own everything in a way that um, that they, it's kind of I would say any competitive because they 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 want you to use their browser which is the Edge, they want you to use uh, their software, uh, they want you to use their own one um, a cloud storage and what happened is. Uh, just recently, uh, they had a lightning strike at one of their their service uh, service centers, and they couldn't handle the load. So there's people that were down for days, and they couldn't access their Office 365. Mm -hmm. That's not good. Uh, yeah, so if you put all your eggs in one bas basket, it might not be a good thing. Um, but just you know, they they're, they want to sell. Windows as a service, and they want you to continually paying them instead of just buying it once, which it wasn't cheap. What it was, what was it like, two or three hundred dollars for that uh, for for yeah, Office? Yeah, it, it was. It, they charged more for Office than they did for Windows. Yeah, <laughs> it's like a gateway drug almost. You get Windows, you might want this too. Yeah, exactly, and you know that that whole. Um, Online cloud-based software. I really like the idea of cloud-based software, and if it's software oh, yeah. that I expect to be kept up to date, I expect changes. I expect to be able to use those new updates as soon as they're available. And I think that's great. But your office suite is not the kind of software that the average person is looking to change on a regular basis. They want it to be stable so that yeah. they can get their work done. They're using it for productivity, you know, to, to get things done, whether that's writing or whether that's uh, creating spreadsheets and doing analysis and that sort of thing. And if the features or the interface or things change in the middle of their work, you know, from day to day, that has an impact on productivity. Uh, and the the other thing that the operating system um, interferes with in terms of productivity. And, and this is another common complaint that I hear from Windows users and ex-Windows users is whether you're a consumer using the, so the software and the computer for home use or whether you are someone who uses it for business, the updates will interrupt you in the middle of your work. They will uh, force you to reboot um, sometimes you can postpone it if you catch the little notification before it goes away and it forces you to reboot. Uh, but sometimes you can't. Sometimes you have to reboot. And it seems to have no regard for the fact that you're in the middle of doing something. <laughs> and if you happen to catch it in time, you might be able to save. And hopefully, if, uh, if you don't, it's the kind of application that does autosave in the background and you haven't turned that off in order to get more performance out of the software you're using. Um, and then, to add insult to injury, it takes a while to reboot to actually go from completely on to starting up again. And, and then you get this notification completing the update. Well, what was it doing in the, you know, when it, <laughs> yeah, but before that, uh, yeah. And, and updating one of 375 or something like that. <laughs> yeah. And then the little incremental uh, uh, progress bar takes forever. And I have in, in Microsoft, uh, 
Windows computers that I have used recently with Windows 10 on them, I've seen those updates updates take as long as 10 or 15 minutes or even as long as 30 minutes to go from I was using it, thank you very much, to oh, now I can use it again. What was I doing again? 30, 30 minutes. Have you seen it take longer than that? Um, uh, I think uh, the longest I've seen was about an hour. Um, oh, ouch. Yeah, yeah, but that, I haven't seen that kind of times in a while. What my what the main um, problem that I've run across is, well, like, like for instance, last time I, uh, I am happy to say last time I uh, downloaded Windows 10, uh, after I got up and running and the, all those updates, you know, the thing's not really usable because, you know, things are going in the background. So you have to wait to get all these updates. Then it wants to reboot. And then you have to go and find the drivers that are not optimized for your system, download those, which is more time. And then I don't know if anybody else experiences this, but the, the install uh, for the NVIDIA driver can take as much as 10, 15 minutes. So you're just losing time all, all the time with, when you're dealing with it. It's exactly, and, uh, they, they, there was so many people complaining and they haven't implemented it yet. As far as I know, I know it's a feature. This is a feature, Larry, that you'll be able to tell it, uh, you know, don't, um, update when I, when you see I'm working or, or ask me before you update, but you only can postpone it from one or two times. Well, if you're trying to get out a big project for work or you're doing a term paper or you're just having a good time uh, fragging your friends on the latest uh, first-person shooter, you don't want to have to, that thing pop up and say, ah, you need to restart, hey, updates, you need to do this. And, you know, it's like, so, right, right. Does, does, does this sound familiar? Uh Hello, boss. Uh, I know we're on a deadline to get this report out in half an hour, um, but my computer just shut down and it says it's going to be an hour before it <coughs> comes back up. So I'm going to be late on getting that really important uh, board of directors report for the uh, uh, for, for, for the investors uh, call yeah, that I'm is sure happening that in a half an hour. Well. Yeah. Yeah, now we got to buy everybody two computers so that uh, you know when one is down for updates, you got something else to work on. Anyway, anyway, <laughs> talk about well, hidden costs. <laughs> yeah, hidden costs. You know, hey, I'm just going to go by the more practical before we start actually talking about how to ditch Windows 10. Is you're playing a game, you're doing really well, you got your friends, and you're all, and the thing pops up, drops you out of game, say you need to update. <laughs> Like oh no, so it shuts your full screen down to a window, and oh, after a while you just you know people get annoyed, you get annoyed, and it's like I can't uh, I can't handle this. So anyway, that's that's why you need your games displayed on a seventy five inch monitor, so that when it goes to a <laughs> to a <laughs> to a window, you can still see and use it. There you go. Only seventy five. Geez. Okay. So you're ditching Windows ten, uh, Larry. Let's look at a few things that. Um, that you want to think about before you ditch Windows. Okay. Uh, what kind of interface do you want? Because in Windows, you can pretty much stuck with what they give you. I know you can change the background. You might be able to change how things open up and stuff, but it's pretty much one Windows the same as the other Windows. Mm -hmm. Do you have any, uh, maybe some ideas uh, that uh, these these guys can go look at and kind of see what they like? Uh, for Windows, you're talking about, or for no, Linux? for for Linux, because uh, yeah. we're trying to decide on what kind of interface you want, you know, and we don't, you know, you might want something very Windows-like, but uh, you might want something totally different, something more minimalist. So right, right. So as you're thinking about which distribution to use, you might want to look at what Linux calls desktop environments. That's what they call the interface, right? Mm -hmm. So one place you could go is to look at DistroWatch. Uh, DistroWatch is a website that gives you a listing of some of the most popular Linux distributions. And for most of them, if not all of them, there are screenshots. So you can take a quick look at 
the way they present things, how it looks. Um, you know, is is there a, a menu bar at all? Is the menu at the top, on the side, on the bottom? And of course, with most Linux distributions, you can change those to wherever you want. But yeah. oftentimes, you want to pick one that is as close to the way you want to use it in, in, in its default configuration. That way, you have to configure less. Uh, and so they they you might want to take a look at the different projects and see if any of those work for you. Um, and they, they, what they show you on DistroWatch can give you an idea of what you need. Mm -hmm. And um, we have a few suggestions and we've discussed them on the podcast in the yes. past, but you can really try anything you want. And we'll have a link to DistroWatch and putting fun back into computing. Uh, it says use Linux or BSD. So that's another option. You can also use BSD. Um, not that we know an awful lot about it, but there you go. <laughs> well, we know almost <laughs> nothing about BSD. So, you know, First thing, you mean you actually get to choose what desktop environment you want? And yeah, right out of the box. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's in some people that might be kind of overwhelming. So that's why we kind of suggest going to DistroWatch. The uh, I would su suggest you know because they have a list of the top 100. Take take a little time and look through them because some of the uh, ones like. Uh, Linux Mint is up there pretty high, like third or fourth. But another really great one is, I think, at like 24th, I think, is Ubuntu Mate, but it's rising in the ranks. Mm -hmm. So, you know, just because it's low on the list doesn't mean it's not great. So take your time and look through them. There are more things to consider than just the way it looks. Um, yes. And yes. probably there are more important things to consider than just the way it looks, because as I said earlier, you can actually change the way that Linux looks to suit your taste and you're better off uh, selecting a Linux distribution that meets your needs from a, what do I want to get done perspective? And yeah. am I a sophisticated user who is willing to dig in and, and learn how to configure things? Or am I, um, someone who just wants things to work. Uh, and if you're in the just wants things to work category, then Mint or Ubuntu Mate are probably a couple of the best for you. If you're one who wants to tinker, uh, you can get into OpenSUSE or, or Fedora or many of the others that are out there. Um, depends on what you want to do. So read Ooh, up on them. You, you forgot to mention uh, an Arch-based one. To be, you'll be in trouble. So we got Ooh. Manjaro, and you've got uh, Integros. Uh, or if you want, and, really want to tinker around, Pingai. Yeah, but that's not really an arch-based. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, not at all. Anyway. But uh, one of the things that um, is very important um, and what we're kind of focusing on, I'm – we're coming at this not for uh, you know someone has you know run Linux before, but someone who has had basically Windows 10 and doesn't know quite what you know how to change desktops yet. They'll everybody learns over time, so that's why I, I think this is important. You got to like the desktop interface, and uh, I always suggest, and I guess you can call it a bias. To look at uh, the, uh, their De Debian-based or uh, ones, and those include Ubuntu Mate, uh, Linux Mint, uh, Debian, of course, Ubuntu, and then the, all the derivatives of Ubuntu. They just seem to have more support because you have so you know with Snaps and Flatpak becoming more and more prevalent. That's not quite as a big issue as it used to be because you can. You know, software that you could only get here or was easy to get here was a little tougher. That's kind of going away. So uh, pick the one that you like. And that kind of leads us into the, this next part. Uh, so you've decided. You found the perfect one. You you know, great. What do you, uh, what do, you do now? Well, first, uh, you need to download it. And most of them have nice links. They download here. And they'll ask you, uh, you know, do you want 32 or 64? Now, if you're running a fairly n new processor on a, a full-size laptop or a desktop, 
you can pretty much uh, assume a 64, but I'll tell you how um, to go about finding out what type of process you have in, when you're running Windows, because this is very important. You don't, like I learned the hard way, 32-bit uh, software doesn't run as good on 64. Uh, you remember that whole mm-hmm. debacle. Anyway, you can go uh, into, me- into your Windows menu and type system information. Uh, and it'll pop up a dialog. And it'll go down and it tells you how much RAM you have, whether it's act- license is activated. But in that list, it says this is a uh, X64 and then a processor or... But you'll see a 64, and if you if you don't see 64, you're probably running 32. And it usually says like uh, 32 something. Uh, it's been so long since I've run a 32, I can't remember what it, it looks like. But right. you'll see 64 or 32. If you see 64, you're pretty much assuming that's the um, version that you want. Right. And when you're downloading the Linux um, file the file that ends in .iso to burn to a DVD or to put on a thumb drive for your installation, it will tell you whether it's 32-bit or 64-bit, uh, If usually. And if it says x86, that is typically a 32-bit version. But if it says AMD followed by something that is usually the 64-bit version, and even though your processor might be um, Intel rather than AMD, the AMD in the name doesn't mean that it only works on AMD processors. It is a categorization of the 64-bit that happens to use the AMD initials. So um, even though it says AMD, it'll work on any 64-bit uh, computer regardless of the processor. That's the one thing that kind of confuses people. And I wish that more distributions would make that clearer that this is the 32-bit version. This is a 64-bit version and forget the nomenclature around AMD. That just makes it confusing. Yeah, you're actually right. We've had a few questions sitting from one of our listeners way back saying, can I run this? Because this is AMD, but I have an Intel chip. So yep. uh, the reason they do do that is uh, the Intel chips and AMD uh, chips share different, uh, um, ex- not, not extensions, but uh, processes. And so for some reason, they decide on AMD. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. Don't ask me. So... <laughs> um, once you decided and you found out what uh, type of CPU you have, then the next part is uh, getting it burnt to either a USB key or a DVD. Right. And Do I need so, matches for this? Huh? Do I need Which, matches for this to burn it? Uh, oh yeah, burning. Well, let me let me <laughs> burning. <laughs> To make the installation software media. Yeah. Okay. Okay. There you go. Yes, that's yeah. what we're talking about. Yeah. Thank you, Larry. Yeah. Uh, so we've got you covered. Ubuntu has great step-by-step, and I've included the links in the show notes. Now, you might say, well, I'm not downloading Ubuntu. That really doesn't matter. You'll just substitute your downloaded ISO image that you've downloaded from your preferred distribution and just follow the steps. It works with any distribution. And uh, this tells you how to do it from Windows. And it's it's, it's actually pretty neat. They have a, uh, okay, do this. And when you click it, it checks it as you complete it. So there's no way to really mess it up or forget what step was I on. So they mm-hmm. went... They, They've really done a nice job, and and there's there's two, two just separate pages. One's for the DVDs, and one's to create a USB stick. Um, and I look through them, and they're really, really, really good. I and I uh, thought that they did a heck of a good job. So yeah, nice, nicely designed. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, it really is. They did a nice job on it, and it's not confusing. It's it's plain English. They they don't ask you to assemble you know, a hypercube or anything like that. It's like, okay, you need this, and it, they tell you what you need before you even start. So mm-hmm. everything's everything's laid out. 
So um, yeah, use these uh, these guides, and at the bottom of the guides, it actually even tells you how to check the uh, check some of your download or. And you want to explain what that is, Larry? Yeah. So the, whenever there's a file on the internet, uh, there is a way to determine whether that file, after you've downloaded it, is exactly the same as the one that was posted. Because uh, there's a risk, a very small risk, but there's a risk that the file could get corrupted in that download process. And there's a code that is generated by looking at the file itself. And if two files are absolutely identical, that that code will be the same. Uh, and that's what they're using is a code like that. Uh, and they will typically post that code along with the file. Uh, and if you, um, if you get that uh, uh, file onto your computer, you can run that same, um, what's it called? It's not CRC. What, what's the um, kind of code? Checksum. Checksum, yeah. So if you, um, when, once you've downloaded it, you can uh, run that checksum routine on your computer, which most computers have pre-installed. You don't have to go get it. And then you just uh, check that checksum and see if it's the same as the one they posted on the, on the download site. And if it is, you're absolutely certain that you've got exactly the same file. Okay, so it, it if you're getting it from their site, it, that's just an additional step, and it's not really hard to do, and it to walk you through it. So, you know, it's a good, it's considered a little bit of homework to try it out. But if you're getting it directly from their site, and that's something I encourage, uh, get it from the developer's site, whether it be Ubuntu. Ubuntu Mate, Linux Mint. Don't download it from a third-party source. Always get it from the developers. Right. Always good advice. Yeah. So, okay, Larry, I've downloaded it. I've burned it. I've checked it. It's ready to go. But uh, I want to make sure this thing works before I totally blow away my Windows. Uh, am I? Do I have to go in this blind or, you know, what do I do now? Okay, so most Linux distributions allow you to try their distribution before you buy. And you're not going on a website and using some sort of mock-up of it. No, once you have your CD or your DVD or your USB stick, um, when you reboot your computer to, uh, to complete the installation... Before you install it, there's usually some sort of menu selection or it'll automatically boot into a mode that allows you to try it out. It will run the actual Linux distribution from your install media, the entire operating system, not some sort of small subset of it, but the entire operating system, and will let you try it out so you can... Uh, use the web browser, you can use the word processor, you can use any of the software that's installed. You can sometimes even install software applications to see how that works. Uh, there are a couple of features that are disabled um, <laughs> related to actual use of your computer uh, so that you don't harm anything. But um, for the most part, the vast majority of everything you could use once it's installed is operational when you are using it from the live media, whether that's a DVD, a CD, a USB stick, or some other thing that we don't know how you would install it, but maybe <laughs> there's something else yeah. out there that we're not aware of. Anyway, you get a t chance to uh, try it before you buy it. Make sure your hardware works. Make sure everything works the way you expect it to. So during that time, you can use it to test out uh, apps, and, and usually they have a pretty good. You'll see the software uh, for Office software. You'll see web browsers, so you can kind of uh, use it to kind of get familiar with it and get comfortable, but and and see how things work and see how the interface works without ever touching your Windows uh, install. And this is kind of uh, a good thing, so uh, because if you've been using Windows. Things depend might work a little differently, and so if you have you know a day or two, and you've never used Linux and you want you, and you want to get comfortable with it, because the worst thing it, you could you know you just jump in and it's like I don't know how to do anything. 
Mm-hmm. So, right. so, uh, so you're not going in cold, and uh, you know, Larry, that's such a great idea of you know, try it before you install it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I I've done that before, and uh, I usually run it a few days just to see how it runs. Now, just uh, a caveat there: if you're running it from a DVD, it's gonna if you open up applications since everything's being run in memory and and not from the hard drive which is faster it's going to be a little slower if you're running from usb i found it's pretty quick so just keep that in mind it's not going to run uh, at full speed but it's pretty quick because once it's in memory it's fast Um, yeah exactly if if you're used to using an old computer running windows it's probably going to run equally fast too especially uh from a usb stick in fact i've used it uh, I've used uh, Ubuntu Mate from a live USB stick to run for several days while I was waiting for my computer to uh, be repaired by Dell. Oh, yeah. And yeah, it uh, it worked just fine. I was able to download Audacity. We actually recorded a, uh, a, a going Linux podcast episode using Ubuntu Mate running from a USB stick. And, you recorded uh, that one uh, using USB? Yes, yes, I did. So, <laughs> I didn't. Even, I didn't even know that. That's amazing. Yeah, right. Yep. Okay. So this is a good time to spend, you know, because you're getting ready to change how you do everything. It's a good time just to make sure everything works. And this is always. It's not as much of an issue as before, uh, but it's good to because you know you make sure your Wi-Fi works and your displays just doing is correct is displaying yeah, it saves correctly. Saves a lot of headaches. Yeah, yeah, a lot of headaches. So. Here's what we've got. We've done so far. We've chosen the distribution that we wanted. We've downloaded the distribution. We've made our install media. We've made sure our hardware supports the hardware. And then number five is an optional, which I, we highly encourage. Run the distribution and become familiar with it uh, and the installed apps on the live media and I think uh, that that's uh, a kind of a good, um, you know. I know it's a little extra work, but you know, you are you're you're investing a little time. But I pretty much guarantee it's probably quicker than updating a um, Windows 10 install <laughs> with all the new drivers. So, right. what else can you tell us, Larry? Well, so after you've settled on the Linux distribution that you like. And the next step is, especially if you're going to blow away Windows, uh, and even if you're not, it's good practice to do this anyway, save the files that you want to keep off of the Windows drive. So anything you've created in the way of documents, anything that you've downloaded and saved for later, pictures, other things you don't want to lose, make a backup copy, and I suggest you do that to uh, a portable USB drive or some other media where you can save them off of the computer in case something goes horribly wrong with the installation of Linux, or more likely you accidentally select the blow everything away option when you wanted to run it, uh, run Linux in parallel with Windows so that you could use the two of them together, but you accidentally wipe it out. So do a backup, do a backup, do a backup. There, I said it three times plus... (laughs) So hopefully that'll sink into some people. So let's take a look at some of the ways that we can do this, Bill. Not the backups, but, you know, saving uh, the important stuff you want. And um, so why don't you give us the first one, Bill? The one method I use uh, is uh, I've used a USB uh, drive, a little key drive. And Mm -hmm. you just go to the files and I copy the files and then put them on USB and you said, well, why don't you just move them? Well, two reasons. One, uh, I don't, I'm want to make sure I get everything. So once I copy all my files over, I can actually look at both of them and say, okay, I've got everything I want. Um, and then the other one is, uh, I don't want to take the chance of moving the original and something happened in bad sector on, on the USB drive and, or, 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 or you know, power goes out just when I'm doing it, and I've just pretty much lost because I just you know took it right out and didn't make a copy. 
And mm-hmm. so uh, just kind of a safety thing for me. And I wish I would have done this before because I've actually had where uh, a certain dog who will go unnamed to the coordinate died <laughs> just as it was uh, transferring the file and I Ooh. lost it. So, yeah, just it's just a safety thing for me. Um, and everything, uh, you know, you, you just get a chance to make sure you get everything. And it, it, yes, it takes a little time, but, you know, we've when you use you uh windows for so many years or you upgraded and upgraded you've accumulated a lot of stuff like wedding photos kids birthdays and songs that you like videos uh of uh the kids uh writing on the walls etc that you don't want to lose those memories so this gives you time to say okay did, did i get everything have i looked in all these places because not Everything is put in the same place. If you have a program, it might store certain things in that program's uh, save folders and not in documents. So it's yeah. So it gives you time to actually okay. I need to make sure I get everything. Now that works if you don't have l- large amounts of files. If you know if your average user, because you can get 16 gigabyte uh, USB keys, and that usually holds about pretty much anything you want. Uh, but if you have like really large files, like video files, uh, or you have a, a lot of songs, or you have a lot of uh, you know PowerPoint or uh, reports or audiobooks or whatever that's large, then you sh- uh, I suggest using a USB hard drive, and that basically is a full hard drive that you can just put all your files on. And it's it's faster, it holds more, uh, and that way you have all your data. Right. Um, Yeah, they they make USB drives um, up to, I think I've seen them as large as 6 gigabytes for the desktop versions, you know, the the big ones. Um, uh They have them as network versions and USB versions. Um, You mean 6 terabytes, right? That's 6 terabytes. Yeah, six terabytes. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, six gigabytes. Wow. So it's six terabytes. Yeah. And I've seen the thin portable drives, you know, mm-hmm. USB the size of a, a wallet or a, a phone or something like that. Um, I've seen those as large as four terabytes. Um, they're fairly expensive compared to the 16. <laughs> but the four terabyte ones are what, what I've seen there. And the USB sticks themselves, I've seen those. I think I've seen them up to a terabyte mm-hmm. in size, maybe maybe two for the full-size ones. But I have a laptop. I like to use the little um, uh, uh, USB sticks that don't stick out very far, so I don't accidentally knock them out of the USB port and damage the port. Um, the, the, they're about the size of those, you know, the little Logitech nubs that connect your uh, Bluetooth or, or wireless uh, oh, mouse that or something like that. Wow. Yes. And I have one in my hands here that is that is 256 gigabytes in size and I ordered that one because it was like less expensive than a 512 ter- uh, gigabyte one that they also offered. Uh, so I know you can get those pretty big. And my computer has a 500 gig hard drive in it. So I figured, you know, I, I, I never fill that up to capacity. So the 256 is fine. And I can do whatever backups I need of files onto that and still not risk bumping it uh, and and damaging the the <laughs> the USB port or whatever. So anyway, there you go. That's uh uh that's a couple of options for you. Well I, I know you've always said that one copy is not really good enough and yeah. and you really want to have a physical copy and an off site copy. So right. can you still can you do that when you're um Moving, is there another way that you can just, just for safety, to move, to have another copy that you don't have physical? I mean, how would you do that? Would you, what would you use? 
Yeah, so you could uh, take that thumb drive and then mail it to a relative halfway across the country. <laughs> that that would be one way, not yeah, very quick. <laughs> but if you want something Clean that's ticket. a little more instantaneous, you want online storage. That's a good way to do it, like Dropbox or Google Drive. Those are free versions of storage or can be free depending on how much you have to store. Uh, there are others out there, uh, and there are some open source versions like uh, Spider Oak and things like that that you can use. So just just that offsite safety net. It's in the cloud. Uh, you could use any sort of cloud storage, and then you'll have more than two copies of your important files. Yeah, that's actually a pretty clever uh, idea, but. You get us like on Dropbox and Google Drive. I have both, um, and I have. You can buy. I think I think my Google Drive for five hundred uh, gigs is like two dollars a month, and you can cancel any time. So, okay, I'll throw two bucks at Google so I can store all my stuff when I'm done. I can just tell them I'm not giving you any more money. Mm-hmm. So. That's one way to do it, and uh, you can also pay for, um, you know, I think it's Dropbox uh, for one terabyte is like $10 a month, and you can cancel any time. So it's not a huge um, a huge expense, but and but you know if you need that extra storage, you know throw uh, 10 bucks at it, and that way you have it backed up, and then when you're done. You can say I don't need it anymore. I'll just I can go back to basic, and you still have you know your, those files in case you know something happens. You lose the USB, your USB goes bad. You know it's hardware things happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I know this might seem like we're taking this kind of slow and going over some obvious stuff, but we want to um, make this a good experience, and it also gives you time to go through your systems and get everything you want. And right. so, you know, we've, you've been using windows, uh, for a long time. So, you know, you've got a lot of stuff. So you know, let's take, let's take our time and make sure we get everything. Cause you don't want any regret. You just want this to be really easy. And so, you know, I don't, I don't think that this is a, a wasted time because you know once you get it up and running you pretty much it will just run but uh so how much more homework can we give them well i think we've given them enough homework for now <laughs> um you know this this episode was really meant for the person just uh considering moving over to linux maybe you've already tried it maybe you've done some of these things but for those people who haven't this was how do I how do I start how do I get going on this and uh, in our next episode uh, where we will be talking about uh, moving from Windows to Linux we'll get into a little more depth once you've installed Linux uh, or how do I install Linux uh, and once I've got it installed what do I do now that kind of thing um, so. The next episode might be for the people who have already made that leap from the the perspective of, hey, I want to try Linux rather than Windows, uh, to I've already installed Linux. How do I, where do I go from here? Right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. I think that's a really good uh, a good thing. So we, we don't have to give them any more homework, but it does give them time. So anybody saying, okay, I've got some time. Let me find what I want. Let me you know get all my stuff together. So the next one... I can get everything installed. I can get it working, and and we're gonna have some suggestions and stuff. So, uh, I I'm really excited for anybody deciding to go over. We hope we find you find this helpful. I know it's kind of basic for uh, some of the other uh, users that are already on Linux, but we want to make this is uh, we want want it to be fun, but we want it to be a good experience. And so I thought it would be good just to kind of go over some of the things because. I know, because Larry's laughed at me, um, that I've forgotten to back up files that I didn't want to lose. <laughs> and I just went ahead and nuked and paved. And yeah. then I yeah. sit there and regretted it. It's funny it. when and it's not happening to you. <laughs> yes. It's funny when it's not happening to you. And I don't want anybody's marriages to end, o- end badly because you deleted all their 
wedding you know, all your wedding photos or you know that or anything like that because then I don't want you to come and blame me. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I get no, that. Anyway. anyway, more on our next user experienced episode. Yes. But our next episode will be listener feedback. So until then you can go to our website at goinglinux.com for articles and show notes as well as links to download and subscribe. And if you'd like, you can participate directly with our friendly and helpful community members by joining discussion in our Going Linux Podcast Google Plus community. Until next time, thanks for listening. 73. Music provided by Mark Blasco at podcastthemes.com.